Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pulse Podcast. My name is Jeff Frost. I'm a second-year resident in physiatry at UBC, and I'll be your host today. This is episode 5A, The Dreaded Paycheck, and this is the first part of a two-part mini-series about starting residency on the right financial footing. Now, you may be wondering, hey, what's up, Jeff? Last week, I was listening to the first in what was promised to be a multi-part mini-series on parenting and residency. And don't worry, the Parenting and Residency miniseries is still going on. We'll be releasing our next episode in the Parenting miniseries next week. But we realize that orientation is soon upon us. That's right, the new R1s will be joining you in the hospital on the 1st of July of 2018. So we wanted to make sure that we had a couple podcasts aimed specifically at the R1s out in time for them starting their residency. This is the first in a two-part series, as I mentioned, all about getting the R1 started on the right financial foot. I'm sure it'll be very exciting. Uh, And even if you're not an R1, there's probably stuff worth listening to and learning about in this podcast. Today, we're talking about how to read your paycheck. I hate to admit this, but personally, I realized after recording this episode, I didn't know how to read my own paycheck, and I'm about to start third year. So uh, there's... Certainly information for everyone in this show. If you do stay for the listen, I think there's lots to learn here. I hope you enjoy. So, good morning, everyone. I'm Jeff. I'm your host, and I'm here today with Michelle Chow, Alpha Galarin, and Bobby Ng, all of whom are members of the Financial Literacy Council. Uh, the, the FLC, or Financial Literacy Council, is a third party that's contracted by the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority to help provide financial coaching and financial wellness to all of the employees of VCH. So the really neat thing about FLC is as residents, we are entitled to two meetings per year with FLC to help us work on any financial challenges we might be encountering. So guys, if you can introduce yourselves, and uh, if I've mispronounced your name, now is your chance to set the record straight. Uh, so I'm Alpha Galarin. I'm one of the co-founders of the Financial Literacy Council. Um, I'm Michelle Chow. I'm the Director of Strategy and Operations. And I'm Bobby Ning, and I'm also the co-founder of the other half of Alpha Galarin. <laughs> Your wife. Right. Work wife. Work wife. <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, you know, I know you guys deal with complex issues like how can I afford to live in Vancouver on a meager salary or how do I manage debt and family in Prince George? So really tough things. But today we're going over something really basic, which is how to read my paycheck. I'm really excited. I'm about to become a third year resident and I still don't know how to read my own paycheck. So uh, hopefully the residents listening to this podcast can learn from my mistakes and learn how to read their paycheck in first year, not third year. Uh, But as part of this, we're going to be providing a sample pay stub to everyone at home. If you're about to listen to this podcast, I encourage you to pause, go home, download or print off the sample pay stub because we're going to be referring to it throughout this podcast. And it'd be really helpful if you have it in front of you so that you can see what we're talking about. Alrighty. So, I mean, before we get to the pay stub itself, something that often comes up is who pays residents? Like, who, who's even paying me? So, uh, residents. So, Jeff, thank you for having us here. So, residents are a key part of our medical system. And so, there are federal government transfer payments that are paid to the province. 
those transfer payments are then uh, administered through HEABC, which is the Health Employer Health Employees Association of British Columbia, and they've selected Vancouver Coastal Health as your master payor, so that uh, there's uh, further centralization throughout the province. And so, by selecting Vancouver Coastal Health, uh, you'll notice that even though you are perhaps with Island Health or Fraser Health or Interior Health, uh, all of your pay stubs are consistent in that Vancouver Coastal Health is your payor. Uh, it's who pays your paychecks, and there's only two subgroups within the uh, entire province that are paid by Vancouver Coastal Health, regardless of which health authority they're a part of. So there's the residents as well as medical imaging employees. Okay, so I mean, I think that's worth flagging and going over because that's really neat. I guess to minimize confusion and bureaucracy, the provincial government has decided that if you're a resident in British Columbia, you will be paid by the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, full stop. Correct. Doesn't matter if I'm working in Kelowna, Prince George, Victoria, technically Vancouver Coastal Health is paying for my employment. Correct. Okay. So that's why at the top of my pay stub it always says VCH. I, I never asked that because I do work in Vancouver, <laughs> but I guess there's lots of residents who don't. Correct. So seeing that on their pay stub might be confusing. Uh, okay. So, I mean, that's, that's item one. Uh, I guess the next thing is um, looking at the, the pay stub, like, What's the most important number? If I'm looking at my pay stub at home, what should I be focused on? You should be focused on number five. So there's a box five, which is net pay. So net pay, I tell all residents, that's your reality check. It's great that you get paid this gross amount, which is uh, much higher, but net pay is really what you have to play with in any given month to cover your rent, to cover your expenses, to pay down debt. Right, 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 right. So if I look at my salary, or sorry, if I look at my pay stub, um, under item nine, there's this thing called gross pay, but that that's almost like aspirational. Yeah. What actually matters is item five, which is what hits my bank account every how often? Uh, you, so you get 26 pay periods, so basically every two weeks. So uh, every two weeks, cool. And so every two weeks, the net pay number is what matters. So if I'm at, sitting at home budgeting or if I'm about to come to an FLC meeting to talk about budgeting, what I need to keep in mind is my net your pay. Your net pay. And it helps to bring your pay stub to the meeting as well. Uh, so that we could have a more meaningful dialogue around it. Uh, so net pay is really income tax uh, minus Canadian pension plan, which we'll get into a little later on, uh, employment insurance, as well as uh, deducting any deductions that are taken directly off of your pay to pay for union dues, to pay for uh, other expenses. So, I mean, now that we've settled on what is net pay, so that's number five, if I'm looking at my, my sheet at home, let's just bang out the top line so that we, we understand what's going on there. Number one, that's the date. That's the date that they're paying me for. No big deal yeah. there. Oh, that's the date the deposit was put in. Oh, okay. So when it actually hits my yeah, bank. So when that's when I can dance it. and hit the club. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Number three, that's me. So in my case, it says Jeff Frost. And then it gives me my address. Number four, what is that? RDBC with a whole bunch of numbers and looks like an address. <laughs> So number four is just basically highlighting the fact that you are a member of a particular union. And in this case, it's a resident doctors at BC. And that's just their, um, I guess that's how they know them internally uh, through their computer system. Oh, so if I was a computer, I, I wouldn't know resident doctors of BC. I would know 8801600-5003? Correct. <laughs> wow, cool. Okay, all right. So um, I guess I guess we can get into the nitty-gritty. So there's the employee number, number six. That just identifies me beyond my name. There's the pay period, and that's what I'm actually being paid for, the, the, the time I've actually worked. Okay, how come that isn't two dates? There should be a starting date and an ending date for every pay period, right? 
-hmm. So in that piece there, it's just depicting when the period ended. And so that's why there's only one date there. How do I know when it started? Uh, you have to correlate it to your last page. <laughs> so I need two page X. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. But this is really important to think of when it comes to getting paid for a call, which sure. we're about to talk yeah. to. Man, what a great segue. It's like, I know, I, right? it's like I've been doing this for five episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I look at number eight, that's my actual earnings. And here we see how much I make. Now, I'm looking at my own paycheck. I managed to bring one to my meeting today with mm -hmm, FLC, mm -hmm. which we should all do uh, when we meet with FLC. But what I see here is it says residents are DBC, and it says I worked under hours 75 hours. What the heck is that about? I work way more than 75 hours. Yeah, so that 75 hours is correlated to a collective bargaining agreement that was negotiated in the last round, and it just basically is being depicted on your pay stub that that is the um, the allotment of time uh, between the pay period. So two-week pay period, uh, 75 hours worked, uh, times an hourly rate, and because I believe you're still in R2 transitioning to R3, so you'll notice on your pay stub it's $30.13 per hour, and so that's correlated to an R2 under the CARMS uh, salary match okay. uh, document. No, I think we need to dig into this, because if I understand correctly, part of the negotiated benefits that we have with the provincial government or the HEABC was that it states in our in our package, in our employment package, that we work 37 and a half hours a week. So for a two-week period, we work 75 hours. So I get paid an hourly rate. But I work way more than 75 hours a week, so why don't I get paid overtime? So the funny thing is, is being a resident, you fall under the category of management. And so just like any other organization where managers are paid a straight salary, it's not correlated to the actual realistic numbers that they work. You could be working 70 hours a week and still get paid uh, whatever your salary is. So I think what we're saying is you're, you're a manager, but you don't qualify for overtime. So really that 75 hours a week thing, that's just kind of a contractual detail. Correct? Yes, that's I, correct. I work as much as I need to work, and then my salary is divided over the pay period. Yes. Okay, so for the residents at home, if I'm looking at item 8 on my pay stub and I get a little worried about the hours thing, really I should just ignore it. Yes, unfortunately. Darn. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't focus too much on it. <laughs> and then that brings us to item 9, I guess, which is my gross pay. And as we've discussed, this is kind of like a, an aspirational number uh, because I'm never going to see that number in a bank account. Correct. And I'm never going to see that number because there's a whole bunch of deductions. Correct. And no. then those will be the other columns. But before we go to that, you'll notice that um, you're paid twice a month. On mm -hmm. one paycheck, you may just see the hours work times your hourly uh, rate. However, in the perhaps latter half of the month, so your second pay period of the month, you'll notice uh, you'll, you'll be paid for your resident meals, your on-call, your out-of-hospital call. And so that's going to be uh, depicted there. But you also notice that uh, in that uh, box, so area 8, you'll notice that there's uh, stars next to it. There's asterisks next to it. And that just basically uh, means if you get... So if you put in your call sheet today, you're not going to get paid until next month. And so that's a backdated amount uh, that's been brought forward. Okay. So, so I get paid for a call every second pay period. And I guess this, for the R1s, is why I need to fill out that callstipend.ca website. Because right. if I fill in my call hours there, it gets logged in the pay system, and then I get paid a month later for the call Correct. that I did. Cool. So the message to all R1s is get those in. 
uh, as soon as possible. And another thing you'll notice there uh, is the fact that it will ask uh, for a disability insurance, whether you have it or not, as well as uh, you need to disclose your policy number. So that's a new thing that was introduced last year. But that's not on this paycheck. That's on the call stipend. That's on your call stipend. Gotcha. Now, looking at the individual breakdown, I'm a physiatry resident, so thankfully here it says out-of-hospital call and not in-hospital call. I'm really happy about that, but most of my colleagues are going to be working in-hospital call. That's pretty straightforward. But what's that meals thing? Uh, so basically, in the last round of negotiations, there was a uh, allotment uh, set aside that if you're on call, you're going to get a meal allowance. And so there's a nominal amount there uh, for you to go buy a sandwich. But, but really, that's just kind of like... A negotiation ploy to increase the amount of money we get paid Correct. per call. Correct. Okay. So if you want to spend it on a meal, go for it. Go for it. That's what it's technically for. If you want to spend it on entertainment, go for it as well. <laughs> okay. But really, those things are all should all be in my mind, packaged together as my on-call payment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. And I don't get paid my meal allowance during the week for just an average... Ah, darn. No. It's totally helping me. It's correlated to your call. So it's only for call that I get the meal allowance. All right. Okay. So that's kind of our, our earnings, and that's column eight and column nine. Following along at home, we're going to progress to column 10, deductions. Um, there's lots going on there. How come I have so many deductions off my paycheck? So the deductions piece there is uh, basically taken straight out of your gross pay. And the question I often get from residents is, RDBC, what the, who is RDBC, and what does RDBC actually do for me that I'm paying that amount of money? Now, I guess as the communications director at RDBC, <laughs> it's, it's incumbent on me to answer that question. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, the first, you've asked actually a lot of questions there, so let's just go through them one by one. The first okay. one was, what is RDBC? So, RDBC is the union that represents resident doctors in British Columbia. BC is unique in that we have a union, not a professional association. Right. Uh, most provinces have a professional association, but that's kind of semantics. At the end of the day, we're a group that advocates for and uh, represents residents and things that matter to you. Um, so I guess the question is, like, what does RDBC do? And that's a really good question. And, I mean, there's a bunch of things we do. The first and more, most important thing we do is that we negotiate on your behalf the collective agreement, which is how you get paid as a resident, It stipulates important other benefits like maternity leave, which we just talked about in our last series of podcasts, and uh, other things like stress leave or if there's any kind of issues in terms of your education. That's all covered under our collective agreement. Mm -hmm. And someone has to negotiate that with the payer, which in our case is the HEABC or the provincial government, whatever you want to think of it as. Uh, And the people that do that negotiation is RDBC, the Resident Doctors of British Columbia. So that's that's our main reason for existing. But we go beyond that. We also reach out to all the different stakeholders that matter to residents. So you're here to get an education. UBC provides that education. We are the important link between yourself as a resident and the university. There's other things like we've already mentioned the government. Um, When it comes to more than just being a resident, how am I going to find a job as a physician? Uh, What can I expect will be the payment models when I leave residency? It's our group, the Resident Doctors of BC, that sits at the table with the government to discuss those things. And, you know, I could go on and on about all the different groups we we discuss, we, we engage with. But I think one of the important ones I want to flag here is the idea of employee wellness. This is something that's really come to the forefront in the last little while. RDBC helps advocate for residents to ensure that they have access to wellness uh, services as, as employees at VCH. 
So if, you, if you're wondering what that means, it's actually a big umbrella term for all the different services that VCH provides to its employees. You can find them all on employee-wellness.ca. There's lots of good things there, but one of the big things we're talking about today is financial wellness. And that's where you guys at FLC come in. So maybe I can just hand over the mic and you can explain what financial wellness is and why it's important that someone like RDBC helps advocate on your behalf to make sure that you have access to financial wellness. So we began the financial literacy program with Vancouver Coastal Health and RDBC as a uh, actually pre prevent uh, proactive response to the need that uh, residents have to understand money. And so one of the things that we realize is that uh, for some residents, they go through med school, they transition into residency, and this is their first job that, they'll, that, that they've experienced. And so there's a lot of responsibilities, there's a lot of challenges associated with that, especially with the cost of medical school and bringing in uh, debt and, and other things uh, into um, their residency years. And so for financial literacy, uh, at the end of the day, it's um, training you to make responsible decisions when it comes to money. And what makes you unique as residents is, yes, you are employed for this season that you're in residency, but in reality, uh, you need to think like an entrepreneur. You almost have to think like a business owner uh, because you are going to be self-employed uh, upon finishing residency. So one big thing that uh, Bobby, Michelle, and I and our team talk about is uh, how do we help uh, you, how do we encourage you to act like a doctor but think like an entrepreneur? And basically that's what financial literacy means to us, is taking this time, providing you two financial coaching sessions per year so that uh, we can journey alongside you as you make key decisions about money. Because one thing that we realize when it comes to uh, life events, that there's a correlation to finances. And so that's what we're committed to, is helping you um, make those decisions and navigate through those decisions. And you can reach out to us by uh, calling 604-620-6630, 604-620-6630, or email us at consultation at flci.ca uh, to enact and start your journey with us in terms of taking advantage of your benefits through VCH Employee Wellness. One thing Elfel forgot to mention, which is incredible because he's the teacher of this, <laughs> yeah. is he often goes into retreats and academic days where we go into different specialties and we will educate you for an hour to two hours on um, whether it's how do I pay down my debt, is it a life sentence, I'm about to graduate, what should I consider from a transition to incorporation. I want to stay in Vancouver, but it seems that Vancouver is very costly. So how am I actually going to afford a house? So we put together, um, through consultation with RDBC, like what are the financial issues that are really concerning to you guys? And we try to put together solutions, tips, and things that you guys can action as well. Cool. And I, I got to say, Alpha, you came to my own academic half day as a physiatry resident about two months ago. And without naming names, one of my co-residents at the start of the session said, why are we doing this? I want to be learning about physiatry. And then by the end of the session said, how do I get an appointment? And then two weeks later said, that was very useful. <laughs> Thank you. So, so you guys do change hearts and minds. Um, but we've got dueling ads here because I was answering the question of what does RDBC do? And I haven't finished so let me finish. So, okay. <laughs> so the other thing that RDBC does on behalf of residents is we, we support you during residency. And, and there's big things that we support. So number one is education. Uh, we're all here to become the best physicians that we can. And uh, sometimes there's bumps along the way. 
And one of RDBC's jobs is to help support residents that run into educational, I'll say, roadblocks or speed bumps. And we help smooth those out and make sure that you can get overcome them to become the best physician you can be. The other thing we do is uh, we help residents if a conflict arises. Unfortunately, residency is a difficult time in life, and there can be conflicts with program directors, hospital administrators, what have you. And we help support residents if a conflict does arise. Now, just to be clear, we don't support residents in the case of a conflict between a patient and a resident. That's the CMPA. Uh, but for other more, uh, I guess, managerial things, since we are managers, that's where RDBC steps in. And the last thing we do in terms of supports is social supports. And that's that's kind of one of my jams at the Resident Doctors of BC as communications directors. You know, residency is a tough time. If you've moved to British Columbia to do your residency, like I have, I'm originally from Ontario, you know, it's, it can be a little socially isolating. So we do things like throw social events where residents can meet up with other residents or even non-residents to uh, just, you know, hang out, have fun, and try and enjoy life beyond uh, living in the hospital. So to kind of summarize, what do we do? We negotiate collective agreements, we reach out to stakeholders, and we support residents. But that was all to answer the question of what is this RDBC line on deductions? So to go way back to this paycheck, which we are supposed to be discussing here, mm-hmm. that's number 10. We've talked about RDBC, but there's like four or five other things under deductions. Why is everybody taking my money? What else is going on there? So what's going on here is the uh, fact that there is a cost-sharing arrangement between you and uh, your employer. And so you'll notice that in uh, box 10 are the deductions that are being taken directly from your pay. So we did cover the RDBC union dues. But now let's talk about dental, ex-med, group life, and ADD. And so uh, you do have dental benefits, so please take advantage of that. There's a lot to be said about oral health, so that is a deduction that both you and your employer are paying for. So you'll notice that the amount that you pay is much lower than in uh, Box 11 uh, under dental, uh, paid for by your employer. Ex-Med is those wonderful uh, treatments that you might experience by going to, let's say, Scandinavian Spa in Whistler. <laughs> so you can get an RMT, uh, you can go uh, do some... Um, uh, treatments that way uh, for work-life balance. And then uh, there's also part of that uh, payment is your employee wellness benefits. And so we do encourage you to use it since you're already paying for it. It's being deducted from your pay. So that includes our financial coaching. We also, There's also through employee wellness uh, uh, health coaching, uh, parent coaching if you find uh, yourself uh, being a parent uh, through, uh, during residency. And so take advantage of those benefits. Those are important. And then a question that we often get is, what is the difference between group life insurance and ADD, which is accidental death and dismemberment? So I'll have Bobby uh, answer that question. Group life insurance is one bucket where you can go as however you like to go. It covers you for one-time salary. And AD&D is accidental death and dismemberment, and that's very specific in regards to if you accidentally died in a car accident or some accident of some form. And if you were to lose a limb, hand, fingers, eyesight, go deaf, foot, feet, then you get also a lump sum payout. But each particular dismemberment or death has a certain payout. Okay, so there's group life insurance and there's accidental death and disability insurance, but those are all different from long-term disability insurance and disability insurance. So I've got four different insurances in my head that i got to keep straight here. That's correct, yes. Okay, now I know, Bobby, you and I are going to talk in detail about what disability insurance is at a future date. Yes. But we can just say for now, 
group life insurance and accidental death and dismemberment insurance come off my paycheck. Correct. And that's different from disability insurance. That is correct. Okay, I'm already confused, so we're just going to leave it at that for now. <laughs> okay, so that's bucket number 10 on our sheet that we're following along at home with. But let's move over to 11, which is benefits. This I'm kind of confused by because, like, bucket number 8 is pretty clear. It's what I get paid as per the CARMS contract. Bucket number 10 is also now pretty clear. Deductions for things that are helpful, like employee wellness, dental, my own union dues. What's this? What are these extra benefits that are coming along? So these benefits are basically tied to uh, the idea that uh, when the health authority uh, hires residents, they want to make sure that they're present in their work. So one of the things that employers deal with is this thing called presenteeism. People coming to work, but they're not altogether 100% there and productive. And so one of the things that your employer will pay for are benefits such as MSP, so your medical services plan. And, uh, and so that becomes a benefit to you in that it is paid for. Uh, however, you'll notice that there's a star next to it because it is a taxable benefit. So that amount on your paycheck of uh, 187.50 year to date is, yes, it's paid for by your employer. However, that number becomes taxable at your tax rate. So let's just round it up to $200. You're on the 30% tax rate. You're going to pay about 60 bucks in taxes for that benefit. Yet the 187.50 was paid for you. And so, um, so then that particular line item is so that, uh, when you visit the doctor, you're not paying out of pocket or a family doctor or, um, major surgeries, um, will be covered. So I guess to kind of think about this in a different way, there's item number eight, which is my gross, or sorry, item number nine, which is my gross pay, which is what CARMS tells me I'm going to be paid. But then when I'm looking at bucket number 11, these are additional benefits that I didn't know about, but my employer is paying for me on my behalf. Correct. So looking at the line items here, you've already mentioned there's like MSP. That's great. I don't want to have to pay to go to the emergency room. Uh, and then there's other things like dental, X-Med, and the different insurances. I just want to highlight that X-Med again. We've, we've talked about it before in this podcast, but that's like a confusing title. But what it really means is employee wellness. Correct. Okay. And that's the biggest line item to date on my own personal paycheck, which we're using for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've paid a lot of money, and so has my employer, into employee wellness. So if I need to use it, uh, go ahead and use it. <laughs> yes, that's what it's there for. Okay, and I guess that's a good reminder to all residents that if they need help with their finances or parental coaching or even nutritional support, what have you, check out employee wellness and use that benefit if you need it. Yeah, because your employer truly believes that, yes, there is a monetary component, but there's also your day-to-day living component of staying healthy right. and being present at work. And so that's what those benefits point towards. And I guess the big downside here, which you've already flagged, is that this does count as income. So when it comes time to income tax, even though I didn't even know it was being paid on my behalf, the government would like some of that money. Correct. Darn. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, I mean, that handles like the big columns. So we're looking at 8 through 11. But let's jump down to the bottom line, looking at number 12. There's that fictional gross pay number once again. (laughs) They just keep, they just keep Making me... Yeah, keep s- reminding you. <laughs> but it's never coming to me. Oh, well. And then there's a whole bunch of deductions. So so we talked about the deductions column number 10, and the sum of number 10 appears as number 14, which is my total deductions. Correct. That's easy. That makes sense. But what's number 13? Why are there more deductions that aren't in the deduct- deductions column? So we do live in a socialist democratic country, <laughs> and we do pay taxes. And so the big item there that you'll notice is a... Well, on this particular uh, pay stub is uh, gross pay of $2,545.12. And 
income tax taken off of $446.19. So that is quite a significant number. And so that is just basically, uh, in Canada, our requirement to pay both federal and provincial taxes. And it's withheld at source. And the reason why it's withheld at source is the government doesn't want to go chasing us for the money later on in the year. <laughs> and so they take it and they, they require your employer to pay it and set it aside for them. And so the question I often get, especially from R1s and R2s, is, well, I have a large amount of tax credits, like tuition tax credits. So if you think about it, med school was probably $20,000 a year times four years. That's $80,000 of tuition um, amount, which is uh, eligible for a tax credit. But that's not all you did. You not only did med school, you probably did some undergrad, which you probably have 10,000 times four years. So right off the bat, the typical resident we sit down with has about $120,000 in tax credits. So let's just round that down because um, realistically, you may have given some of that to your parents on their tax return. So let's just say you have $100,000 of uh, tuition uh, amounts. And so that will correlate to about 20% uh, tax credit. So that's $20,000 of coupons. So I want you to think of credits as a coupon that you can use against your taxes. And because you see there that you owe $446.19 in taxes, you can apply those credits towards that. So there is a form you can sign. It's called the T1213 form. It's a government form. And if you have that signed and we have the actual um, uh, documents and if you email us we're more than happy to send that to you and it's already pre-populated as to who you send it to so that uh, that's half the battle uh, so once you sign that piece of paper you're basically telling Vancouver Coastal Health please do not take taxes off of my paycheck and so basically had you signed this Jeff you would have had not $2,545 you'd have almost $3,000 uh, paid to you uh, simply because of uh, they would not have uh, taken out the taxes. Uh, uh, sorry, instead of eighteen ninety nine paid to you, you would have got four hundred forty six dollars more um, because they would not have deducted the taxes. And so that's something to keep in mind that residents should know because you do have a lot of tuition credits. Uh, you can um, make it so that those taxes aren't taken off uh, every two weeks. Right, and I guess the real benefit there is the interest on my student line of credit is charged monthly. Correct. So if I can get some income, if I can get more money up front mm -hmm. and pay off my debt, it minimizes the amount of interest yeah. I'm going to be paying. Yeah, because we notice it's between eight and let's say nine hundred dollars a month of extra money, and you can deploy that either pay down debt. If you don't have debt, you can start saving. Uh, you can put away money in other things. Right. So if I've got tuition credits, it's it's and I'm an incoming R one. Probably one of my first things to do would be to book an appointment with you guys and sort of how I can yeah. make sure income tax isn't deducted at source. Yeah. And one of the biggest mistakes we see residents do is the fact that they think, oh, I'm just going to keep my credits when I start making more money. That's not true <laughs> because the credits are worth the same whether you make $10,000 a year or $300,000 a year. You're better off using them now rather than later. Really to, to minimize the amount of interest I'm paying on my debt. Correct. Okay, I can understand why I might need financial coaching. <laughs> He's like, can I get that far? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've already used all my tuition credits because I'm in third year. But yeah, I can see the benefit. Um, okay, so... And the next line item you'll see is CPP, and that stands for Canadian Pension Plan. So we do live in a country where there is a public pension known as CPP. And basically, for every dollar you earn... Uh, between about $3,000 and $52,000. So as residents, you're all in this boat. Uh, you're going to pay about $2,600 a year in premiums to Canadian Pension Plan. Now, Vancouver Coastal Health, you won't see it on this form, on your pay stub, they're also paying another $2,600 
uh, on top of that. And that is to give you a pension, uh, Canadian pension plan, of about $1,200 a month after the age of 65. But you have to be working for 40 years, averaging $45,000 a year. So one important thing to note, I know you're going into R4? R3. R3, R3 now? Yeah. Okay, so when you finish uh, and you're self-employed, you're required to pay both the employer and the employee portion. So there needs to be some planning around that. But for the... Um, but because you're a resident, you're only responsible for the employee portion. And so that's what that is for. Oh, my goodness. The listeners at home cannot see me shaking my head at the complications I'm about to encounter. Yeah. But to keep it basic, CCP, CPP is a pension plan I have to pay into. I can't complain about it. Correct. It's, it's a required Wait, payment. can I complain about it? You can, but unfortunately, <laughs> we'll fall on deaf ears. <laughs> no one's going to care. So what's EI? EI is employment insurance. So that's an allotment uh, available to you, especially if uh, you go on paternity leave or maternity leave. And so we know uh, residents in R4 for some reason. Um, there's some of them that uh, go on maternity leave and because there's a top-up uh, from your employer. Plus, there's this EI piece here. And so employment insurance traditionally for things like maternity, paternity leave, but it'll also be uh, if an employee is laid off uh, by their employer, uh, there's some money there to help them uh, make ends meet. It's a nominal amount, just under $1,200 a month. For right. And less I guess, than a year. I guess we, I mean, we just talked about this in our last little mini series about uh, maternity and paternity leave, but for residents, I guess the biggest reason we care about EI uh, is because it does pay our maternity and paternity uh, leave benefits. Correct. But we have to have worked at least 600 hours of EI before we become eligible for those benefits. So here on my pay stub, we're looking at a pay stub together. Mm -hmm. Under number eight, it tells me how many hours I've worked. I've worked 75 hours. So that has to total 600 on all the pay stubs that I've received from VCH before that EI number works for me when it comes to my own paternity leave. Correct. Okay. Wow. Learning. Learning. (laughs) All right. So I've got... A little. This is a little weird because here I see number 14, which is total deductions, but that number actually represents the sum of everything in number 10. Correct. And the real total deductions is 13 plus 14 when I'm mm-hmm. following along at home mm-hmm. for like a super total deductions. Yeah. And then I take number 12, subtract 13 plus 14, and I get my real net pay, the actual thing that hits my bank account every month, which we've highlighted as number 5 if you're following along at home. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's reiterated again. And so we're looking at my own personal paycheck. And again, I'm a second year resident at the time that we recorded this for another two weeks. And I have this very sad number of $1,690, which sounds like a lot until I realize that my rent in Vancouver is (laughs) $1,600. So I get paid every two weeks and uh, my rent pretty much takes an entire paycheck. Uh, So that can lead to financial difficulties, which I guess is why you guys exist. Yeah, we're um, happy to help um, for anyone who has questions or has ambitious goals. Like, how do I leave residency without debt? What? I can have that goal? Potentially. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, that's eye-opening. All right. um, So I guess that pretty much sums up our... Oh, and the one last thing I wanted to flag here is number 16, taxable benefits. If I understand correctly, this is a sum of everything from column 11, so benefits that my employer pays... That have a, that has a star beside it, right. because if it has a star beside it, it's a taxable benefit. <laughs> is that about right? That is absolutely. So I totally have to. So I have to take my year-to-date total gross pay and add to that the taxable benefits that my employer has paid on my behalf to sort out the entire income the government sees when it comes to paying my income tax. <laughs> oh my goodness! Why is this so complicated? Well, there's a way in which we can <laughs> help you uncomplicate it because uh, in March of every year we do provide uh, tax clinics. 
uh, to medical residents. And so that's your opportunity to sit down with us and, our t and a team of accountants that we bring in, and we'll actually prepare your taxes for you. And so that was a legacy from work that we did at UBC Medicine that uh, our DBC had asked us to continue uh, for the benefit of residents. I think it's I think it's totally helpful to help prepare taxes, but I went to that clinic this year, and I also remember getting a massage, which might have been <laughs> oh, better yeah. than the health yes. <laughs> <laughs> So there's multiple benefits to going to the tax clinic. <laughs> okay, well, guys, I think that sums up uh, our paycheck. I don't know why I didn't know how to read this until now, but my eyes have been opened. Uh, is there is there anything else we should talk about? No, I think you've covered it all. Yeah, so I guess one thing is to um, really point your attention to the disability insurance podcast because one of the things you will notice on your uh, pay stub is that there is no deduction for disability insurance. And that is one thing many residents ask us all about is like, well, my friends matched in other provinces. Why is their disability insurance paid for? And um, you'll notice that it's not uh, with your uh, pay stub here at Vancouver Coastal Health. And part of the answer of that is... Um, when RDBC negotiated the latest round of um, compensation for residents, uh, they had opted for higher pay for residents in lieu of the uh, disability insurance uh, being paid for um, for residents. Right. And I think, I mean, that was a net benefit for us as residents because our pay went up and the extra money we got allowed us to make a choice when it came to disability insurance rather than being forced into a specific policy. Uh, and we got a little bit of extra money for the effort, so mm -hmm. net benefit. But you're right. When comparing my pay stub to, say, someone from Ontario, I'm going to be missing that deduction line for disability insurance. Yeah. So the onus is on you to go and uh, purchase your own disability insurance. And one way uh, you can get some uh, help around that is, again, by taking advantage of the two financial coaching sessions that are available every year. And, again, you just have to contact 604-620-6630 or email us at consultation at flci.ca to get that process started. And I know Bobby and I, along with the rest of the crew, are going to be talking in detail about mm -hmm. fun things like insurance. So if you're having <laughs> trouble sleeping, be sure to check into that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for teaching me something today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something. I know I sure did. We won't be going through the normal administrative details that happen at the end of the show, things like consults pending, upcoming events, and signed off, as we just went through that last week, and to be honest, not much has changed. If you are interested in finding out about our upcoming events, do feel free to listen to episode 4A, where we talk about upcoming events for June of 2018. And more importantly, if you haven't had a chance, the Parenting and Residency miniseries was a blast to research and record. I hope you can take a chance to listen and get as much out of it as I did recording it. Today's music, our intro music, was Unreal DM, and the outro song that you're listening to now is Summer Trip by Tagolio. Both songs were used under the Creative Commons music license. Thanks again for joining us. I've had a lot of fun today. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll now know how to read my own paycheck. We'll catch you next week where we'll be doing our second uh, episode in the Parenting and Residency miniseries. Have a great day.